Hi, I'm Jennifer Ackerman Haywood, and you're listening to the Craft Sanity Podcast, a weekly interview show about art, craft, and creativity. I produce it in the hope that it will help all of us live long and crafty lives. This episode is sponsored by artist Jennifer Maroney. Check out her paintings at artgypsy7.etsy.com and read her blog at www.artgypsy.typepad.com. So let's get to it, folks. It's time to craft sanity. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 74 of the Craft Sanity Podcast. I'm releasing this episode on Sunday, March 30th, 2008, and very excited to have Lexi Boger as my guest this week. She is a spinner extraordinaire and the creative force behind that really cool website, Plucky Fluff, that features non-traditional and exciting ways to spin yarn. With non-traditional materials, basically everything with the kitchen sink, Lexi has found a way to spin. First book was self-published, Plucky Fluff, Hand Spun Revolution. So she produced that book on her own and um, put out a, a nice book. But she's really just recently realized her book dream, and that is the book that you can find at your local bookstore now called Intertwine, The Art of Hand Spun Yarn, Modern Patterns, and Creative Spinning. Inside, it's just really a festival and celebration of wonderful yarns. And the cool thing about this book is it's not just spinning techniques, but, I mean, obviously that is her intended purpose. Her publisher also had asked her to feature projects. So the book contains a bunch of projects, things you can knit and crochet with this really cool yarn that Lexi teaches you how to make. Lexi's 33 and she lives in California, in Placerville. I called her at her parents' winery. We had a great conversation, and I want to get to that. I uh, just want to remind you quickly before we get started to check out craftsanity.com. I might be adding some things related to this episode. I'm blogging every day, so there'll be something there for you. Uh, also, post comments about the show. I love to hear what you think about spinning. I don't know if you've ever spun with anything non-traditional, if you've ever tried this. Or if you have questions for Alexi, I can certainly you know, direct her to the website. So um, feel free to, to post comments and also follow the links over to Alexi's site. I want you to check that out because it's really fun and very cool. She's got a lot of great photographs on her site. And if you don't know how to spin right now, I made sure to ask her some questions for rookies. So even if you've never tried spinning before, I think you're still going to find this very interesting. Well, Lexi, I have to say I am so happy to have you on the show this week. I think it's really going to be fun to talk to you about your fantastic spinning adventures here. Well, glad to be here. I'm really interested in hearing, maybe for the folks who aren't familiar with Plucky Fluff, that excellent website you have where you showcase this fantastic yarn. And I think for me, um, one of the things I love about it is I, I spin, but not very well. Mm -hmm. So I really specialize in novelty yarn uh -huh. just because, not because I chose to, but kind of because my, my skill level is, that's kind of what, you know, I'm all about, you know, uh -huh. uh, because it's really challenging to get that even great, you know, consistent right. twist and so forth when you're making yarn. So mm -hmm. why don't you just start off by t introducing yourself a little bit to the folks at home and tell us what you're doing with Plucky Fluff. Um, well, Plucky Fluff is uh, mainly just a website that features non-traditional, one-of-a-kind hand-spun yarns, and they really tend towards the unorthodox or creative realm. So they would be either unusual fibers or 
different or unusual things added in, like beads or hand-felted things, um, shells or plants or kind of whatever I stumble upon in the world. And the idea is just to show that yarn can be more of an artistic endeavor and less of just a craft endeavor. And so aside from the yarns on the website, I just have a lot of information as well. I try to do step-by-step illustrations of how I'm making it so people who are watching the website or blog can see how it's done. So it's both a resource and sort of an inspirational website. And when did you start it? Oh, good question. Um, I think it was probably 2001 in there somewhere. I was selling a lot of yarns on eBay, and I sort of pieced together a website around that time. Okay. And so when did you actually start spinning? I learned how to spin in 2000. Okay. And what led you to spinning? What was it about spinning that attracted you? Well, I actually didn't know anything about spinning at the time. I had just been learning how to crochet from a friend of mine and was shopping in the yarn store, and I just accidentally bought some very traditional hand-spun yarn. It looked kind of like commercial yarn. It was it was pretty traditional. But when I started working with it, it just was, you know, it just had these little incidences that were unusual, and it wasn't as regular as commercial yarn, and the feel of it was really nice. I think it had a little bit of lanolin left in it, mm-hmm. so it just had more life than most yarn. But I ran back in. I was like, what was that? I need to buy some more. And the owner of the shop, Lou, was said it was her hand spun. Oh, so I was she like, made hand it. Spun? But she offered classes, and as soon as I just looked at what it was and the wheels, I just knew that I was going to love it. So that's what led me into it. Did you sign up for a class? Yeah, I signed up for a class, which was a very um, sort of a labor-intensive class. It wasn't like just putting you on a wheel. You had to get the dirty fleece and clean it and wash it and card it. And then we learned on a drop spindle first. And then we finally, at the very end, we spent one evening on a wheel. So mostly the class was learning from the very beginning, how to deal with the fiber, and you kind of got the entire history of spinning in one class. But I love that, you know, and I think that, you know, in all of spinning, it's that foundation that's most important. So an understanding of the fiber from the beginning and just the technical um, basics of spinning are so important. So Now, did you ever make a traditional skein of yarn? Well, the first one. <laughs> the first one, yeah, I spun pretty regular two-ply for, well, for a couple months probably, and spinning just came really naturally to me, so I just could do that pretty quickly, and it wasn't until I tried to teach someone else how to spin, and they just had it so jumbled up and twisted and tangled, you know, and they were really frustrated, but when they took the skein off, I was like, oh my God, that is so interesting, you know, look at that. Right. I can't do that, you know, I finally was like, oh, okay, how do I how do I replicate that, but knowing, you know, but doing it a little more controlled. So that's what led me to the more unusual style. And it sounds like you've never gone back to the traditional stuff for the most part. You know, it's funny. I'm, I'm going back right now, actually. It seems like I'm, I'm really attracted to very subtle yarns at the moment, but I'll never just do that. I mean, I tend to follow the rabbit wherever it leads me, you know, whatever hole it jumps down, I'll go with. So Right now, I'm sort of in a more conservative mode, but I will, you know, I'm sure I'll go back out on the edge sometime. <laughs> I've been on the conservative now for about two weeks. <laughs> right, for two weeks. Yeah, we'll That's see. a long time for me. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, you'll probably be called back with some candy wrappers or something. Will Yes, definitely. <laughs> their way into your yarn, I'm sure. Yeah. You got started with spinning, you said about, it's been about, what, five, six years now? 
it's been longer than that, seven years. What year are we in? Seven years ish. Okay, I'm really bad at math, so okay, about <laughs> seven years. And what I mean, did you did you have any people in your family that were really into arts and crafts, or is are you the 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 lone uh, sheep in your family that's out there? <laughs> no, my I we have a lot of really creative people on both sides of my family. So, um, and very I would say, um, what would be the word? Everybody's very capable. If it's if they're not artists, they're you know metal workers or working with wood or working with other materials where you know you're you're bringing something out of nothing. So I get a lot of um, innovation from different sides of my family. There's a lot of builders and um, and then a lot of artists as well. So it's definitely in the blood. Sounds like you were learning how to crochet when you actually kind of got into the spinning. Uh -huh. That happened kind of unplanned. Um, what did you do before that? What kind of art and craft did you do earlier in your life? Um, I never did much crafts, actually, before I learned the crochet and stuff. But mostly it was more just fine arts. I have a degree in art, and I do a lot of painting, um, photography, different medias um, was more what my focus was. So definitely more in the fine arts so realm. So where did you go to school? Uh, UC Davis. Okay. Yeah. And so you graduated with your fine art degree. And then yep. what did you do after college? Um, well, shortly after college is when I learned to spin, but I also have done, you know, tons of straight jobs. I've worked graphic design and internet startup companies in the Silicon Valley in the 90s, which was really horrifying, cubicle life. <laughs> You're not the only I, one who says that, yeah. Oh, it was awful, awful. You cannot put me in the cubicle. It doesn't work. And uh, my family has a winery, so I've worked in the wine industry a ton, doing managing tasting rooms and um, that events for wineries and stuff like that. So, you know, while I was doing arts and crafts, I was doing those jobs just to get by. And so right now, are you full-time working on your art um, and your, your spinning and your plucky fluff and books yeah. and all that? Plucky fluff is pretty full-time, and then I also do some photography work on the side. Awesome. Yeah. So you're you're really living a creative lifestyle. I am, and don't get the impression that plucky fluff and making yarn actually is much of a living. Well, <laughs> I'm living the artist lifestyle, and we eat a lot of beans. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. You're right. That is a total illusion that people yeah. think. Oh, you know, if I could just spin yarn all day, it's not a lifestyles of the rich and famous. You no, know? definitely not. But, it's a lot of lot of work, a lot of late hours. Yeah. So, what is a typical typical day like for you? Um. Well, on my, I alternate days. One day I'm a total stay-at-home mom with the kids, um, which you can imagine what that is. And you have two, two children? Two children, a two-year-old and a four-year-old. So one day with the kids, and the next day will be a work day, and I'll probably um, either spin on a yarn or work on some project I'm doing, a lot of photography because I keep the blog up, and people like to see the step-by-step -step of everything. So I'm staging photographs or actually spinning or researching for some other project. Um, a lot of computer work, actually. Probably more than half of my time is spent actually posting all of the information, editing the photographs, writing about it, updating the website, filling orders, and that's the so not romantic side of it. You know, and if I'm lucky, I can squeeze in a trip to the thrift store to look for something new, you know, yeah. to put in the yarn. So. And is that where you get most of your supplies for your yarn? I get tons of supplies secondhand. Again, with the artist income, that's sort of a necessity. But also, I like the stuff I use to have a history and authenticity to it. So I'm not that interested in new materials that are just put out brand new. You know, mm -hmm. I don't think they have 
that much character. You know, if I'm going to use denim, I want it to have been worn by some 80-year-old cowboy for 50 years, you know. <laughs> yeah, well, not only that, I mean, it's just, it's probably easier to work with, too, because I mean, denim that hasn't been washed or worn is oh, not yeah. very fun. Oh, no, not at all. For the folks at home that have done, like, the traditional spinning where they go and they buy the wool and they maybe it's dyed already for them and it's basically ready for them to spin. They don't mm -hmm. have to card it. It's pretty much all set. Uh -huh. They can just go. So what you do is such a dramatic shift from that, the traditional spinning. So let's pretend we're going to go to a, a thrift store together. Uh -huh. What kinds of things are you on the lookout for to put into your yarn? What jumps out at you? Um, well, always looking for um, plying materials for sure, like old threads or strings or old um, like weaving cones sometimes. I live in a really crafty area. I'm sort of up in the foothills. There's a really huge granny factor up here. So <laughs> lots of old sewing supplies and yeah. notions and those kinds of things. So I'm always looking for old seam bindings, um, vintage ribbon, stuff like that. Um, definitely always looking for vintage silk or silk hankies because they're super cheap, but it's nice quality silk and you can rip it and shred it and put it into the yarn. Old denim, old mostly fabrics, but also anything unusual. I mean, sometimes you'll find some weird little doll or some strange old jewelry or something like that, you know, pretty much anything like that. But like I was saying before, I prefer things that have authenticity or not, you know, they're not cheaply made. They're not mass produced things. I'm looking for the older stuff that has found its way into the thrift store. It makes it so much more fun when you're spinning to be able yeah. to work with things that are unique. Yes, exactly. Does it make it harder to part with your finished yarns by the time you get done and you've spent, you've found the items, you've gathered them up, you've made mm -hmm. them into this wonderful, beautiful skein of yarn. I mean, is yeah. it hard to get rid of it? I mean, to sell it to somebody then? I have no problem getting rid of my stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I just am not, I don't get very attached. I don't hold on to that stuff because I prefer to, for me, if I start keeping everything, I just get slowed down because then I'm looking at all of it and I just don't move forward. Okay, so for you, know, you so that's part of your process. Is oh, you yeah, definitely it, to get sell rid of it. it and I never wear, stuff. I would never wear what I spin. It's not my style. Interesting. <laughs> Actually, I mean, it's, I love it. I can appreciate it for what it is and that's why I spin it. I just make the yarn as its own entity. But if I'm going to knit myself a hat, I tend to do my own kind of thick and thin single, pretty simple. And that's what I wear. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I interview a lot of artists who maybe they use really, I know Kristen Nicholas uses very bright colors uh -huh. um, in, in her books and in her knitting, um, but she doesn't wear that. Yeah. You know, she's just like, I love to see it on other people, yeah. but that's not my thing. And uh, Well, I've seen that with a lot of artists. I mean, it's like the classic cliche of the artist all in black. You know? Right, right, right. <laughs> now, are you wearing black right now? I'm wearing all dark gray. <laughs> ah, that's funny. But how do people respond? Like when you go, uh, do you do a lot of shows where you go with your yarn and actually see the people buying it? Or do you just sell most of your stuff online? Yeah, I never do shows because I don't spin enough. Okay. I mean, the truth is I do not have enough time in the day to produce enough yarn to ever take anywhere. So um, the only response I get mostly is from people, they buy it and then they'll email me back and be like, oh, you know, I loved it or I like this part or whatever. Okay, so you um, hear, like, more, most of it is through the, the internet that yeah, you hear feedback. Mostly. Yeah, Although when I do a class or a lecture or something like that, then we'll all get to see people one-on-one, -on -one and we can talk about it right face-to-face. -face. When you started putting unusual things into your yarn, was it something that just, you're like, wow, this is really, this totally makes sense, I'm glad I'm doing this, or, I mean, because there really weren't a lot of other people that I'm aware of that are doing what you do. I think now people have seen what you've been doing, they see mm -hmm. your website, you've inspired a lot of people to start 
looking at everything pretty much in their house, uh-huh. all the scraps, you know, yeah. little pieces of fabric, I mean, whatever, paper even, um, yeah. and we and put that in to their um, yarn. But who did you look to for inspiration? I, I didn't. At the time, there really wasn't, you know, there wasn't anything out there. I started selling on eBay, and there was a couple, there'd be a couple auctions on there of yarn, hand spun, but it was very traditional. For me, it was just a natural evolution of, you know, if a little accidental lump kind of came into the yarn that didn't get carded, you know, I'd go, oh, well, that that's interesting. I need to do that on purpose. Then I would make my own lump on the side and spin it in. And then from there, just, well, does it have to be wool? Why couldn't it be, you know, a little lump of fabric or something? So it was just kind of a natural result of my creative process, I think, which comes more from my art background than anything well and it's wonderful to see too when people allow themselves that creative license what mm-hmm. can happen yeah I mean because look what has happened I mean yeah. you have this is do you have two books out now yeah yeah I mean and we're going to talk about we're going to talk about your books in a minute I mean but if you think about it a lot of people like they make that the lump appears and they're yeah. like oh no I've made a mistake and yeah. they try to undo it or cut it off or start over or whatever and if you would have done that we probably wouldn't be talking right now. Yeah, but see, the thing is, I don't think that ever would have happened because I wasn't coming at it as a spinner. Interesting. I was coming at it as an artist. I mean, in the end of the day, no matter what activity I learn or field I go into, I think I always come at it from the point of view of an artist versus I think when people come at it from the point of view of a spinner, there's a whole history and a bunch of rules that go along with that. You're right. So... They've been taught how to do this specific craft, and they're only thinking about it in terms of, I need to follow step A, B, and C to get D as a result. Mm-hmm. And I think the thing with the books or this type of spinning that people are excited about is it's people that maybe don't have any training in art or don't have a creative background, and they're just discovering not really so much about spinning, but more about how to tap into their own creativity and how to say, I can make up my own rules. Because... This is just my own thing, and you know I don't need to worry about anybody else or the history of this or anything. I really can do what I want. So to them, that's the freedom. That's like the big, exciting thing more than just, oh, I can add into my yarn. It's more like I can take control of my own process here. Well, it's a very liberating way to look at things because yeah. when artists learn how to crochet or knit or weave, it's a, it's a different experience than if you come at it from the crafty mindset. Right. Because the artist is looking to see what how they can apply that skill yeah. to their artwork. And it's about the art, not so much about having perfect rows or yeah. perfect gauge. I think it's a lot more freeing to just kind of do whatever you want. Because yeah. honestly, when I spin, I kind of get a little bored if I'm trying to do very yeah. traditional. So I think part of what holds me up is my own boredom with a traditional skink. <laughs> Seriously, because yeah. I really am drawn to, when I am in a yeah. yarn store, I'm drawn to the non-traditional Right. The stuff with little flubs in it that uh-huh. I love. So, so yeah. And, well, why don't we talk a little bit about your books? Now, I have a copy of Intertwined with me. I don't have a copy um, right with me of your first book. But why don't we start with your first book? Okay. Let's talk about your first book. Tell us the title and okay. kind of what, what you were looking for readers to get from that. Okay. Um, the first book was called Handspun Revolution. And I'm not sure what I was thinking when I did that. I was I had just had my first baby. She was maybe a month old or two months old when I started that. Wow. But, um, yeah, I think the idea there was, it's a very, very small book and it's very simple. It's got maybe 18 or 19 different yarn techniques and it's laid out just a photograph of the yarn and the instructions on the other side. And there's a little bit of writing in there about, um, just sort of my theory about 
how to spin and, and you know, what I'm doing. There's a little blurb in there by Anna Vogue too, on freeform crochet. But it's pretty simple. Um, but I think what I was thinking at the time was that I felt there was this imperative to get the information out and published quick. I had the feeling that spinning was growing and it was going to really explode soon, and I wanted to get that book made because I felt, you know, once I have this kid, I am not going to have time to make a living spinning. I'm going to have to have something that I can work now and sell for however long and, and get an income off of it. So, mm-hmm. I mean, so it was mostly logistical just with my time. What, what, where can I creatively put my, my stuff and that it'll pay off later? So the idea was a book and I realized like what I really have to offer is the information. You know, people can buy my yarns and they might want my yarn, but what's more valuable, I think, is just the ideas that I could put out there. So that was the idea to publish in the first place. Now, did you work with a publisher or how did you? No, no, no. I self-published, which was so expensive. So this little tiny book, which is maybe 40 pages, it's the new book is like 10 times the size, but this one is three times more expensive. (laughs) How was that experience, though, when you published yourself? I mean, you did this yourself. Was that really hard to put the book together? No, for me, it was really easy because I've done tons of graphic design. So I've done text layout, and I can use the software to set it up and everything. It was mainly just finding one of the companies that would do all of the legwork as far as government, you know, ISBN numbers and that kind of stuff I'm terrible at. So you pay these people a fee and they get all your paperwork done and they get it printed for you. I see. Okay. And so is that something you're still, it looks like copies are still available on your website. There's a few, there's not many left. I probably have like 60 books left Okay. and it's not going to get reprinted. Okay. So you've decided that, that. Yeah. It's just too, it's too much of an investment, you know? Yeah. Well, congratulations that you have, I mean, just 60 left. That's yeah. 600, you know. Yeah. I mean, that's that's good because some people self-publish and they end up with a garage full of their book. Yeah, I know. You know? So good for you. Thank you. And uh, and now you've published Intertwine, mm-hmm. which is fantastic. It's Thank beautiful. You. you worked with Quarry Books on this one. Uh-huh. And um, why don't you tell us a little bit about this book? Um, well, that book would be, that was basically my dream book. If I could afford to have self-published that, I would have done it a long time ago. But you know, having a publisher, you know, it was just so much easier to get every idea that I wanted in there. So it was just a fully comprehensive book of all the techniques that I could think of at the time. And then the publisher, though, was not very confident in just putting a spinning book out there. They didn't think the market was big enough. So they, in order to do the book, they made me agree to do 20 to 30 original projects. And at the time, I was like, oh, yeah, no problem. And then when it came down to it, it was like, oh, my God, I have to do 30 freaking projects. Uh, and especially when you're, you're more interested in the spinning than you are the projects. I know, yeah. but it ended up being a great, great, great process because I don't do a lot of knitting or crochet. So it really made me see the yarn on the other end of it where it's like, okay, it's beautiful. How is it functioning? Mm-hmm. Um, and then spinning for a specific project is also really fun and interesting. So it turned it out to be a great learning experience and and what's fun. So. Now, it looks like you took some submissions from people as far as, like, projects go. Yeah. Yeah. And so how, how many people did you work with? Um, boy, I think I have about 20, 20 to 30 people that I worked with in some way, either donating yarn for projects or, you know, actually submitting their patterns or even 
down to designers submitting their clothing that they do to use on the models to take the pictures. So a lot of really creative people worked on that. Well, and I thought that was actually one of the things that really struck me because I was reading some of the cut lines. Mm -hmm. And you do say, um, you like jacket by so-and-so. And And I thought, wow, that's really cool because in a lot of other books I've looked at, Uh you know, you see a knitted garment on somebody, they're wearing maybe a cool skirt, and you're like, oh, that's nice. Um, In your book, you're crediting the people who developed all of that, which I think is great. Well, because it's all in the same realm as far as I'm concerned, you know. Anybody who's going to be interested in this type of spinning or knitting projects like that probably also totally likes one-of-a-kind handmade clothes as well. So I figure, you know, we're all doing the same kind of thing, and we should support each other. So is every garment in here um, that people are wearing, is it all handmade stuff? No, not all of it. Okay, but but you did know where it's noted. That's Where it's noted, yeah. Okay. Well, that's impressive. So this is something that knitters and crocheters, the book does appeal across the board to folks who want to make projects. Maybe they think, okay, the spinning part might not be for me. Mm-hmm. The cool part about this book is they get an education of how yeah. the yarn is made. Mm-hmm. Something tells me, though, if you pick this up, you're going to want to spin. Yeah. <laughs> because I've been itching to my spinning wheel. is um, I kind of put it up away from my daughters because they thought it was kind of a great toy. Oh, yeah. Um, and I kind of had to put it up. It's kind of on top of my mantle so I can <laughs> see it all the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I haven't used it in a while. So I've been itching to spin, and I actually want to work with paper. Oh, yeah. I'm a v- big into using newspapers. Oh, cool. Since I'm a newspaper reporter, I kind of always am looking to oh, yeah. use paper. And I love that on page, it's like you were thinking, you knew, you knew that I wanted to do this. <laughs> on page 85, you have this great shredded paper yarn. This shredded paper, yeah. Yeah. Well, now, what was the first, what led you to start spinning with paper? That was just, you know, another one of those things where I think I just walked by when someone in the office was dumping out our paper shredder, and it was just like, oh, Look at that. You know, just kind of touch right. it and you just have a feeling like, oh, this is an interesting, it just looks interesting as it is. And then the next step is, oh, well, can I spin it, you know? And so then you tried it. Yeah, and then I tried it. I mean, I'm always led first by the eye, you know. I just see something will catch my eye because it looks interesting. And then I'll just touch it and think about it and see if I can work it into a way that can be spun. Well, like I- I'm sitting here right now looking at this big pile of bubble wrap I have. You know, and you might like, try oh, to spin that. You know, I could spin that maybe. It could be one of those. Um, someone can make it into a hat, and they can like pop it or a yeah. scarf. They can <laughs> annoy their co- coworkers while they pop the little bubbles. <laughs> Keep your two-year-old busy. A yeah. whole suit of bubble wrap. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> well, I save. Um, and this is really ridiculous. I don't know if people. Uh, you, I think you have the probably of all the people on the planet, you have a, the best chance of understanding why I do this. When I sew, I save like the threads that I clip off. Yeah. Like I save all those because I'm like, these yeah. are great colors. Yeah. And in yarn, yeah, this would be really great. So I have like this little container full of like jammed full of little snippets of yeah. various colored threads and all that. Because I just thought instead of cutting up like a thread off a spool, yeah. I'd rather use the stuff that I've already cut, you know. Exactly. And you could never, ever contrive the color combination that you get by just sort of absentmindedly saving that stuff for right. a year. Right, right. Right, yeah. and so my husband's thrilled, though, that I'm saving one more thing, you know, because <laughs> I have a tendency, I like, I'm like, oh, I could use this in a project, yeah. and it might be like, so it looks ridiculous when I have a wad of, like, thread, yeah. and I'm like, oh, that's for, he throws it out, I'm like, oh, no, that's for a project, and he's just like, what, you know? You threw that away, that pile of thread? <laughs> yeah, the, the pile of thread that, you know, yeah, the, like, two-inch pieces of thread, yeah, um, yeah, so it was really hilarious, but um, when I pictured this book, I was like, wow, this speaks to me on so many levels, oh, you yeah. know? Yeah, and I think it's great, too, and I think there's a certain satisfaction that comes from being able to take something and use it in a way that's not the traditional function that it was designed for. Exactly. And it's, in many cases, 
free or virtually free because mm-hmm. you're not going out and buying a bunch of products. So right. that's really cool. So as as far as your, your book goes, I mean, what kind of response have you gotten so far? So far, it's been great. It's selling really well. They're reprinting it already. So wow, that's congratulations. Good. Yeah, thanks. That's fabulous because this just came out when? Um, February. Wow, good for you. Yeah, well, I, I'm sure the first run is small. <laughs> they probably test the waters, but yeah. um, things are going really well, and I've had a huge response. The traffic on the website's a lot greater now, and um, lots of requests for workshops and stuff, so it's it's going good. That's great. That's really great. So do you have another book planned, or are you going to just kind of give yourself a break? <laughs> yeah, I don't have one <laughs> Yeah, in the works, although I'm under contract that may, you know, they get they possibly would do a couple more if we all agreed that we wanted to. So okay. it's possible. Well, that's great to know you have an opportunity if you decide yeah. to pursue it. Because yeah. I know that a lot of the people I've interviewed have kind of equated, you know, it's kind of like giving birth to a book. I mean, yeah. it's a very big, huge thing. Yeah. So, yeah. Seriously. And you're still standing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's wonderful. And so as far as your future plans, what is next for you as far as your spinning goes? It sounds like you said you're it's been about two weeks now of traditional spinning. Um, <laughs> well, I wouldn't even say super traditional. Just, I, you know, I think I'm just taking sort of a mental break and doing some soft, pretty, you know, yarns that I can make a beanie out of. You know? Yeah. Because <laughs> I've so... been really kind of working hard. But um, the future, I don't know. You know, I just think that as long as new ideas keep cropping up, I'll just continue to pursue those. And you don't have a laundry list of things. But the the more exciting thing I think is going to be traveling and doing workshops. I'm booked for the next two years now for workshops around the place and going to some really interesting places. So wow. that I really look forward to meeting more people face to face and traveling. So that'll be. And so you'd be documenting your travels on your blog? <laughs> I don't know. I hope so. You know, sometimes it's just like too much of a whirlwind to even take a picture because still with the small kids, you know, I did a workshop in New York in the winter and it was just like, put the kids to bed, get on the red eye flight, fly overnight, get there in the morning, set up the class, you know, crash, get up the next morning, teach for two days and fly back, you know, late again. It just, wow. you know, it's not as romantic as it seems because of the little ones, you know. So. Right. Cause you're in a rush always to get back. Yeah. Cause I can't leave the kids for that long. Yeah. Yeah. I think that would be really hard. Yeah. Yeah, they're loud when they're nearby, but um, you miss that. The silence is strange when you're away. It (laughs) truly is. Yeah. So I know before you started your website and got into spinning, uh, you were doing some other creative stuff on the web, it looks like, because I was uh, kind of surfing around on your website. Oh, you discovered the secret about me page? Yeah. (laughs) It hasn't been updated in four years. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm curious, though, I think, because you were doing a lot of other stuff on the web, it Uh sounds like. Yeah. And very interesting things. The Marsha Hubert. Yeah. Like what? Yeah. Why don't we? Because, okay, before there was Plucky Fluff, there was Marsha Hubert. Yeah. And explain to people what that was. Marsha Hubert was sort of the antichrist to Martha Stewart, basically. <laughs> I kind of got that picture, yeah. From the yeah, yeah, yeah. It yeah. was the, it was just, uh, this was actually before blogging, really, okay. was any, I don't even think they had blogs when I was doing this, it was like 2000 or um, 99, when I was doing the internet company stuff, you know, so I was on the computer all the time. But it basically was like a cocktail hour email blast that I would do to my whole email list and it would just be basically me having two or three cocktails and making up a recipe (laughs) and then just writing about it just you know and it's like you know completely misspelled and you know just out there in your face kind of recipes and 
just attitude and like just some crazy woman in her house. And um, they were super fun and people loved getting them. So then I had a website where I kept all of the recipes and then did um, photographs of them, but they were all photoshopped and were really funny, you know, really tongue in cheek stuff. So, and I'm actually resurrecting Marsha Hubert soon and having a blog with her because um, I need a venue where I can get sort of my evil side out. I the see. spinners are too nice. Like, I really can't um, lash out and have my true dark side come out for the spinning. Side. Oh, I see. So we're going to see Marsha again. So Marsha will be coming out, though. She's very, she's scary. <laughs> so you'll be doing more recipes then? Recipes, cocktails, and cake decorating ideas is what she does. Okay, because I think I see one here with, like, uh, looks like bunny uh, little peeps. Oh, yeah, um, the peep Easter cake. Yeah, yeah, the Easter cake, which looks um, completely, uh, like, well, it looks like... Uh, very eastery, I guess. It's disgusting. Yeah. It's, <laughs> well, I didn't want to say that, but um, yeah, it, I don't know. I'm not big on the peeps, but um, not all the recipes are like very delicious. Like you, and, and that's part, that's and that's part of the humor of it, though, too. Is yeah, that yeah. If people were to actually take this real seriously, well, we'll see when you bring Marsha back. How yeah. many people are posting on their blog that they made the the yeah. peeps Easter cake? Yeah. Um, and before there was Marsha. There were the Fly Girls, uh, Fly Fishing oh, yeah, School fly for Women. Mm-hmm. Um, now, what was that all about? That was, um, well, I've been fly fishing since I was a kid, and that just, all of these things are just probably me avoiding trying to have a real job. But um, that was, I would just run a fly fishing school and guide service for women. And I worked in a fly shop at the time, and it's just, it's the whole area that's just completely dominated by men. So yeah. there was, um, you know, and at the time I was like 25 or 24 working in a fly shop, and these old guys would walk into the fly shop and just be like, what? What are you doing behind the counter? Like, oh, my God, like I was an alien, you know? Oh, geez. Cause they just, <laughs> in a very positive way. I mean, it was nothing was, it was ever negative. They were very surprised, though, to they see a young woman su- who knew, who could hold her own yeah. on the fly fishing, yeah. But I, but I learned when I was there that suddenly these men would start asking me, well, do you teach? Because my girlfriend or wife, really, I want her to fly fish with me, but every time I try to teach her, we get in a fight. <laughs> you know? So then that's just how it started. It was like, oh, you know, I'm going to save marriages because <laughs> the, they'll learn easier from me because we're not being competitive or, you know, there's right, not some right. secret issue we have going on. And then she'll learn to fish and then they can fish together and be happy. So so you save some relationships out there. I think there. so. Yeah. <laughs> At least for maybe while they were fishing. Yeah, and unless uh, the woman turned out to be better than the man. And well, then, and yeah. it often happens because yeah. there's a very certain sensitivity it takes to do that. Yeah, it is kind of it is definitely the most delicate form of fishing you can do. Oh, definitely. Well, I've always thought it was beautiful. Yeah, it's very. Um, and I've never tried it, but I need to do that. So, where were you teaching at the time? Where was the shop? The shop I worked at was in Sacramento, but I would guide and fish people up in the Sierras, just oh, all up okay. and down the Sierras. Here. Okay. So, do you still tie flies? Um, I don't tie flies. That is, although I did when I started to learn how to tie flies, I did the same thing I did with, with the yarn, which was I started making these like giant fairy flies with <laughs> glitter, and I was like, "Wow, this is beautiful!" And the guys in the shop were like, "What are you doing? You can't catch anything with that." Like, but no, but it's beautiful. Look at it. <laughs> and so you were making more decorative flies than yeah, just making these weird flies. flies. Yeah. Yeah. Can you imagine trying to sell a, a fairy fly to an old man who's been oh, yeah, fishing no. for fifty years? That's funny. <laughs> So you did that for a while, mm-hmm. and before you did that, we're kind of going time warping yeah. back a couple years at a time here. Yeah, well, now, it's been longer than I thought. <laughs> before the Fly Girls, there was Soft Spot. Yeah. And tell me about Soft Spot. 
that was, you know, again, trying to make a business out of what I was doing anyway, which was just selling. It was basically just clothes, one of a kind, whatever I decided to make and just trying to sell those. And I don't think I ever really sold much. It was more like I'd give them all away to my friends, but I was working on making the big website for it and learning how that was actually when I learned how to make websites and started to learn how to do the photography for stuff like that. And so that was huge, valuable in learning how to do that. But it was just clothes, weird, you know, different stuff. It sounds like, though, from your description of this, you never really considered yourself a great seamstress. Oh, God. No. So you're making clothes, designing clothes, trying to, in, you were, it sounds like you gave most of them away, but it sounds like the, the thing that stood between you and, and fame as a clothing designer was the lack of sewing skills. <laughs> Yeah. That was totally. the only thing that stood in your way, it sounds like. From... Oh, yeah, well. Because <laughs> <laughs> you had the website, you had the ideas, you know. What? I, <laughs> I, I can do the pattern. I mean, I can make up, I can make a three-dimensional object. I can totally create a pattern, mm-hmm. but I just can't finish my seams, you know. Yeah. I don't have the attention span to really do all that finish work that makes a really nice garment nice. You know, and I totally know that about myself. I would have to be the designer that's like, does a sketch, does a crappy sewing job, but makes a cool thing, and then says, okay, someone who knows what the hell they're doing, make this really nice, like structurally good, you know. Well, you know, and I think one of the reasons why I wanted you to kind of lead us back in time through these series of creative phases you've gone through is because there are a lot of people out there, they may be making the the Peeps Easter cake, you know, Mm -hmm. for this weekend, and they're thinking, they're doing something the equivalent of that. Yeah. And there's like, this is really creative, this, you know, and trying to figure out, okay, what am I supposed to do with my life? I think I know in yeah. my 20s, I was thinking, I had like my quarter life crisis, which I said before, <laughs> lasted about eight and a half years. Uh-huh. And it wasn't until I turned 30 that I was like, okay, I think I figured this out. You know, and I started this craft sanity thing. I've always uh-huh. wanted to write about art and craft and talk to people. And I didn't know what the heck I was doing. I couldn't get real traction. I was yeah. holding a day job, but feeling quite miserable about mm-hmm. it. And your progression here of just all these creative things, one right after another, mm-hmm. I think is really interesting because you then with Plucky Fluff, you found something that mm-hmm. really has been a springboard for you. I mean, you have a book, you have this great, two great books, you know, yeah. and uh, possibly for more. You're traveling for the next two years. Yeah. I mean, this is great. I mean, what advice do you have for for people who might be out there back where you were with like Soft Spot yeah. or the Peeps Cake, what advice do you have for other people out there that are really creative and artistic but still looking for that thing that they're going to do for the rest of their life or just for the next big thing they're going to do? Well, my advice would be, and I think this would go for anybody, not just people in the creative realm, mm-hmm. but I really just believe that you you won't be successful unless you're doing the thing that really resonates most deeply with you, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever that is, whether that's math or if it's plumbing or if it's painting or whatever, you know when something excites you and your only concern really should be with pursuing those things that have give you meaning in your life, get you excited, engage your mind, engage your spirit, you know, whatever it is and whether you think you can make a living off it or not. I mean, you really have to pursue those things with a vengeance because life is so short and you know you don't want to get to the end of it all of a sudden and look back and be like what did I do I worked a straight job I made an average income and I had a mortgage payment you know right how unfulfilling is that and I think that if you pursue what 
is engaging to you and makes your spirit feel good, then even if you don't make a living off it or you don't get rich and famous, you still have led a meaningful life. And that is the most important thing anyways. But I have seen more times than any that financially people end up, it pays off anyways if they stick with it because whenever you're doing something truthful and authentic, people recognize it, I think. Yeah, I think people value it a lot more, for sure. Definitely. You know, there's a temptation, you know, people will say, oh, you know, I wanna, I'm going to stay home and I'm going to do art or craft full-time, and I'm going to look on Etsy for some ideas. Yeah. Okay, and they go to Etsy, and they're like, oh, wow, someone's selling tons of these things, like gangbusters, yeah. but it's not their thing. Yeah. Like, if someone comes to your website and like, wow, I could sell this yarn, I could, you know, yeah. I could do this thing, and if it's not their thing, though, if it's not the thing it's that not gonna really... It's not going to work. It's not going to work, you know, exactly. so you, you got to find your own thing. True. And I think that's the hardest part, you know, is that you went through a series of things. It's a progression. Yeah. Not all of us have documented, had the skills, the computer skills to document yeah. our pro- progression online, but uh, we've all gone through that, and yeah. it's got to be really satisfying for you now to be at a place where you're like, wow, it's kind of cool. I mean, how does it feel to be where you're at right now? It feels really good. It's really, it's really exciting to just feel like, wow, I actually can do comfortably what, what I really love doing. Yeah. You know, where I've always had to just kind of squeeze it in on the side or run around doing a job and everything else and trying to get it done as well. But now I can just sort of relax and say, no, you know, I can just spin if I want to. How uh, long did you go with working the straight job and then uh, and also trying to get your other creative stuff on the side going? At what point did you make the switch? Oh, it's still, I mean, just, you know, I think just as soon as I finished that book has been the first time that I've been able to you know, quit. well, I quit my job anyways because I had my second child, so I couldn't hold the, the straight job down anyway. But I think with the book coming out, which is, it, you know, it's not much, but it's some form of stability, mm-hmm. I began to have the confidence to say, you know, I'm just going to take a leap here and let go of the regular job and cross my fingers that this works out and it's been working out. That's great. Well, congratulations Thanks. to you. You're a great inspiration to the folks out there that have aspirations to find their thing and do it. I think your book is wonderful, too, in the sense that you've been able to blend your your artistic knowledge and skills with just being able to share. Like People can actually look at a yarn in this book, which is beautifully photographed as well. Um, did you do all the? Did you do the photos or who did? Yeah, them? I did the photos. Yeah, too. it's beautiful. They're beautiful, beautiful photos. So people can, you know, look at these, get inspired, and also have the instructions of how to go about making. Of course, it won't come out exactly the same, right? Because every spinner is going to have their own style, and of course, whatever they find at the thrift shop is yeah. going to affect <laughs> how it looks. But do you find that spinning non-traditional yarn is it easier than doing the more traditional two ply without you know, the flubs? It's, it's some are harder and some are easier. <laughs> The thing is, is that, I mean, really probably the hardest thing is to establish a mastery of basic spinning. I mean, nobody should really spin the non-traditional yarns until they've learned how to spin very sound traditional yarn, because that's the foundation of their knowledge, which is what you learn when you do traditional spinning is you learn exactly how the fibers behave, how to control them, how um, to predict what they're going to do. And just to become familiar with the basic activity of spinning. And that is a foundation you just have to have. It's like, you you know, I think it says it in the book, too. You just can't really break the rules until you know them. Right. You know, you have to learn that stuff first. And then after that, you can depart from it. And it's almost like you don't even understand what you're doing until you learn that basic traditional spinning. Because you don't recognize a mistake unless you know how not to make the mistake. You know, exactly. Really. So... 
So it's very important. And so I think it's very hard to learn how to, to spin even balanced traditional yarns. It's very, very difficult. It takes a lot of time. Now, if someone was going to start, like say they hear this, so maybe they're not a spinner right now, but they mm-hmm. want to become one now that they've heard you talk. Uh-huh. How long should they give themselves realistically to really get a, get a good handle on the traditional spinning before they move into the more, you know, the funky stuff? You know, it just completely depends on the person. I just, for me, it didn't take very long, but I just had sort of a natural instinct about spinning, I think. So for me, it, it didn't take long before I just understood how the, fa- the fiber was behaving and I could get it to be balanced and even. It might take someone else a lot longer. It might take someone even quicker. So for me, it was, you know, a few months of spinning every day to get it down really, really well. But it would just be different for everybody. I think you know. I think once you start spinning, you know when you're really comfortable with it. And you'll probably naturally progress into the more creative stuff anyway. So, What do you recommend for people who want to get started? Uh, should they try to get their hands on a wheel or drop spindle? What, what do you recommend? I recommend everyone take a class before they invest in a wheel. Okay. Hopefully a class where there's different wheels they can try. Because it's like anything else you know, a different wheel is going to suit a different person. I tried several. Some of them I just hated, and then some I really liked. And they all act different. They feel different. So people really need to try them out. What kind of wheel do you use? I spin mostly on an Ashford Traveler, and it has a quill attachment, which is like a long needle that you spin off of for really big stuff. And I also have a big, old-fashioned, handmade box wheel that's got like a two-inch orifice and a giant bob in the size of your leg. Oh, wow. For bulky stuff. But Did, no did you wheel. know the person who made that? No idea. It showed up at the yarn store, no maker. It's got a cast iron wheel. It's probably from the 30s. Wow. Yeah. It's beautiful, but it's a mystery. But no wheel is a silver bullet for these yarns. I mean, hopefully someday a manufacturer will will get a wheel that kind of can do everything, but not right now. You have to piece it together. I see. Yeah. Okay. So between those two, you're able to do... Yeah, between those, I can put it together yeah because i mean wheels are for those who who aren't familiar with it i mean wheels can be i mean i mean you can get one that's if you find one used you can get them for pretty cheap but they're they're up there in the hundreds i mean depending oh on, yeah five six hundred bucks for the top of the line yeah right? and that's and that's a lot of money to spend if you're not yeah. sure you're gonna take to it exactly i spent on the traveler which was totally an affordable wheel i think it was like 350 bucks or something seven years ago and i'm still spinning on it it's got twist ties holding part of it together and duct tape but I haven't switched. I haven't upgraded to anything because it's a workhorse. I'm glad you mentioned that, too, because I think sometimes people think, oh, I've outgrown my wheel. Well, if they can hear you say that, that you're yeah. still using the same wheel. They can yeah. probably make do with a little duct tape as well. Yeah. It saves everyone some money. Yeah, totally. Sorry to Ashford if they want to sell another wheel. but <laughs> Do you do anything on the drop spindle? Have you ever used the drop spindle? No, I don't. I did learn on it, but it's so slow for me, and I'm such an ADD girl that it's like i got to go faster than that. Yeah. So you're you're not gonna we won't see you walking around with a drop spindle. No, no way. And it's and it's just it doesn't have you just don't have the control on it that you would need for a lot of the stuff that that I like to do. It wouldn't work. Right. I'm thinking you need a little speed if you're gonna be having like paper and fabric pieces getting totally. twisted up. Otherwise you're gonna end up with more on the floor than Yeah, and yard. the main thing is that I work within about four or five inches of the orifice is if I spin that close to the wheel, I don't bring it back into my body. But, and when you're doing a drop spindle, you're spinning, you know, three or four feet up from the spindle. Right. And you have to be that close to the orifice to do the control that you need to add a lot of the stuff in. That's like an unknown thing. So that would so, be a 
kind of, yeah, that would be a lot harder. Yeah. So you couldn't really do that on a drop. Or you'd be spinning, you know, eight inches and winding it. It just it doesn't work. Yeah. Well, someone might find that they want to do traditional stuff and they want to be walking around the block yeah. or something. Go for the drop spindle. But if you want to do yeah. some serious... Well, it's a, for eight bucks, you can go a long way with it. Oh, yeah. I mean, you can do chunky, crazy, thick yarns on it. Or you can do a lot of stuff, but you can't do the delicate stuff on it. Yeah. Well, that might be a place to start for somebody that's thinking they want to do some experimental stuff, but... They might get a little frustrated if they're trying to do all the stuff in your book. Yeah, that's yeah. really You really wrote the book assuming the person was going to have access to On a, a wheel. wheel. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what else do people need? Because I know sometimes some of the directions call for, you know, you have to cut your, you tell people to card their wool or, or their uh-huh. fibers. And do people need like the, the hand carters or can you, do they need the drum carter or what, what do you recommend? there well i i really recommend the drum carter and it's a huge investment i mean a drum carter a good one's like 500 bucks too but it's almost more important than the wheel because you just it's fast for one hand carding is it's fine it's meditative but you can't really do what you can do on a drum carter drum carter you can just shove all kinds of stuff in there and quickly card it, and it mixes things up in, in unpredictable ways. And, and you can put all different materials in there, too. Like if you're going to work with paper, you can sandwich that between wool or whatever and run it through a drum carter. So there's really a carter itself is a, a good avenue for creativity as well, and I really, really re- recommend getting one. Right, because if you're going to do this seriously, Well, it makes a you know, and it's just a whole different kind of fiber. Fiber that's been carded on a drum carter or hand carters is totally different from comb top wool that you or roving you buy in the yarn store mm-hmm. it's lively it's lofty it's got bounce to it it's got unusual spots it's got dense spots and light spots so that alone is going to make a more interesting yarn so so it's worth so it put it on your christmas list folks yeah yeah uh, were you able to buy all this did you just take a plunge and say okay i'm buying the loom or not the loom that's a whole different ball of wax that's yeah, what yeah. happened to me my oh, no. yeah, my my uh, spinning wheel, you know, it kind of gave birth to all these other things. Yeah, I know. I've looked at looms. Yeah, yeah, I have a couple. It's kind of overrunning my house. But yeah. um, so when you decided that you were going to get into this, you know, spinning was your thing, and I want to do this. Did you buy a new wheel and then the carter and all that at once, or how did you go about that? Yeah, I bought the spinning wheel on the last day of class. Okay. Oh, okay. I just yeah, I was like, oh, I love this one. Can I buy it? So I did that right, cause I did, but I knew for sure, you know, I knew for sure that's what I wanted and what I wanted to do. So I got my bulky wheel because it just was an opportunity. You know, those things don't pop up very often, and it was in the yarn store for 250 bucks, and I had 180 bucks in my account. And I was like, hold that wheel, and I just went, I borrowed, I scrounged, I got an advance on my paycheck, and I cashed out my entire checking account, and I went and got and bought it. <laughs> it was pretty important to you. Well, it yeah. wasn't, I was never going to see it again. Right, right. And people have emailed me, like, what is that wheel? Where did you get it? It's like, you can't, you, I've never even seen another one, so you kind of got to do it when you can and just buy the book. Well, it sounds like that, that piece is probably worth way more than you paid for it, too. I, it probably is. I don't know. I've never seen another. Not one that you're looking uh, to it's sell it. It's worth it to me. I would never sell right. it. Right. So. It's priceless to you. It sounds like there's no amount of money. Yeah. Yeah. And then for your Carter, how long did you wait to get that? I bought that as soon as I. Well, I bought a cheaper one. I bought an Ashford one, and it was all right. But then I tried somebody's Louette, and it was so fantastic. I turned around and bought one right away. Okay. And again, I couldn't afford it, but I just did it. Yeah, and it, well, it sounds like in the long run it paid off because you had yeah. good. Yeah, well, you can never afford you it. You had good instincts for about the fact that you're going to use it. 
It's not yeah, collecting oh, yeah. dust somewhere. You're actually using it. So that's right. Well, I've never. Yeah, that's the one thing is I've never spent that kind of money on something I wasn't gonna use. Yeah. I prefer to have fewer big ticket items, but ones that I really, really use a lot. Yeah, and it's great that you were able to try it out too from somebody else. Yeah. So that's that's a good thing too. You already had mentioned that trying out. You know, try several before you, yeah. especially with your wheel, to try it out. Definitely. Because what might work for somebody, one person, uh, yeah. another person might hate it. Sure. You know, so. so what else do people need to know if they want to get started with spinning? Well, that's just it mainly. They need to be prepared that it's going to suck up all of their time and probably money. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a slippery slope, like every other art and craft form out there. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's just like any other craft endeavor for sure, you know. There is going to be a, an investment of some ability, but you you know you can taper that down if you want to. They need to get into a beginner class and hopefully one that starts from scratch and teaches about you know the sheep, the different types of fiber, cleaning, washing, and the whole process because they need to know it from the beginning to really feel if they to, to find out if they're going to understand it and like it. You know, what do you get back out of it? Because I mean, obviously this has become something you're pursuing as an artistic career, but what do you get back from the act of spinning? What does it do for you? Well, it does two things. One is it's just a rewarding, creative experience. You know, learning something new like posing problems to myself and solving them. So I feel it's sort of intellectually stimulating, artistically stimulating. But on the other hand, it's just a really nice meditative spiritual experience as well, especially if I'm just spinning some very simple yarn. You know, it's one of those things that gets you in a space where your mind is gone, you know, and you're just in the moment and you feel connected to everything around you and you kind of lose your body a little bit. So and that's, that's what also drew me to fly fishing. It's very much the same type of thing where I like to call them monk activities. You <laughs> yeah. know, getting, shutting off that busy part of your mind. And, you know, it's a kinetic movement that really gets you in tune with the way that the world flows around you, you know, and plugs you into that. So. What's your favorite place to spin? My favorite place to yeah. spin? Hmm. In my studio, I guess. I have a little studio room and I like to just be surrounded by all of my nest of spinning stuff. I don't usually take my wheel out and about, so I like to stay in my little cave. Yeah, I brought mine out, a, a woman I used to work with in the newspaper. We decided one summer day, I said, hey, bring your spinning wheel tomorrow and at lunch we'll, we'll go out and spin at the picnic table. Uh-huh. I have to tell you that was probably, it became a spectacle. Oh, yeah. Um, the boss, you know, the editor of the whole paper kind of walked by and he's like, what the hell? Like, I mean, he didn't say it, but he had that look on his face. You know, it was really hilarious, but I never have done that since because I thought, you know, it kind of became, yeah, I don't really like so much when art becomes spectacle because you're not right. really, you can't get in the zone and just kind of do your thing. Exactly. And sometimes it's I forget. like a petting zoo. Well, I, yeah, I kind of forget sometimes that not everyone approaches the world like me because I could see someone yeah. spinning and walk past and think that's completely normal and say hello <laughs> or ask a question. Hey, what are you spinning? great and move on but other people it's almost like they want to take out cameras like wow look at those freaks you know (laughs) they're like oh are you weaving yeah they're just kind of what is going on here yeah so um yeah I don't really take my wheel out very much anymore I I think I'll be real selective about where I spin next I definitely think I I prefer to be private yeah and I think it's just yeah because it's your thing and then you can just focus on whatever you're trying to do you know Uh as opposed to having people asking you weird questions about what you're doing. Well, I think this has been really fantastic to hear the story of how Intertwine came to be. I think it's been great to hear the story behind Plucky Fluff as well, and I think it'll be really fun to see what you do next. Thanks so much, and we'll be in in touch. Okay, Okay. talk to you later. All right, bye.
Thank you very much to Lexi for that great conversation and for sharing her story and the story behind her book, which is now available, and as she said, in her second printing. So congratulations, Lexi. That's wonderful news. I don't know about you, but I'm feeling inspired. I want to spin up some yarn that involves newspapers. I have no idea what I would make from this, but I really want to spin some yarn. Please visit CraftSanity.com for links to Lexi's website and more information about her book. And I might be adding some stuff midweek related to this episode, so keep an eye out for that on the Craft Sanity blog. Uh, I do post things there every day, kind of gotten into a routine. I also want to thank Jennifer Maroney for sponsoring this episode of Craft Sanity. This is the first time I've offered that opportunity, so kind of charting some new ground here. You can check out Jennifer's paintings at artgypsy7.etsy.com and read her blog at www.artgypsy.typepad.com. If you're interested in becoming a sponsor of an upcoming episode, check out the sponsor link on the Craft Sanity website for more information. I don't have an after show today. I'm going to keep things short and sweet, so you guys have a lovely week. I'll be back next week with kind of a, a mystery show, so we'll see what I can scare up by next weekend. So you guys, take care, and don't forget to Craft Sanity, my friends. It works for me. Thanks for listening to the Craft Sanity Podcast with Jennifer Ackerman Haywood. Visit CraftSanity.com for more information about today's guests and links to subscribing to the podcast. Want to support the show? Follow the link to vote for Craft Sanity on Podcast Alley once a month. You can also make a donation or buy goods at the Craft Sanity store. Have a suggestion for a future guest or have other feedback? Email Jennifer at CraftSanity.com. Thanks again for listening to Craft Sanity.